Hi, and welcome to another supplemental episode of Women at Warp. This is Sue. With me today is Andy. Hello. And we are super excited today because we have a special guest with us who you might recognize from the convention circuit, but who you also might recognize from season 12 of RuPaul's Drag Race. That is Jackie Cox. Salam. How are you, Women at Warp? So good. We're excited. I'm excited. I'm excited that we're just, we're like going to be super nerds today. That's what we do all the time. (laughs) Yeah, we're kind of super nerds every day. It's kind of our thing. Oh, I want to live in that world. (laughs) So, I mean, I I first met you a couple years ago at AwesomeCon in your Deanna Troy cosplay. And then, you know, a couple years later, to my surprise, there's Jackie Cox on my TV. And so many people in in Trek fandom were kind of freaking out about like, look at this Trekkie on national television doing her Trek cosplay. So (laughs) I just want to know, like, how, what's your history with Trek? How did you become a fan? When did you become a fan? What's that story for you? Yeah, I think like most Trekkies, and I could be wrong, but, and I think, I think Alex Kurtzman has talked about this as he's like become the new steward of the franchise. So I was like, oh yeah, that does feel valid is unlike some other big fandoms, I'm thinking Marvel, Star Wars, Trekkies usually come of Trekkie age just a little bit later in that I feel like it's less like kids under 10 and more like once you get to that like 9, 10, 11, 12 year old moment in your life when you can start actually appreciating Star Trek for all of the like high concept stuff is Mm -hmm. when I know I got hooked and I don't know about you two but I feel like that's what I've felt from most of the fandom so yeah for me it was big in middle school so I moved around a lot as a kid I lived in a different city for fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grades. So all of those grades were in different cities. Oh my. And those are all like really formative years, right? And I remember, you know, that was the time when, you know, it was kind of, I guess, the heyday of Star Trek in the sense that Next Generation was just finishing its run. Deep Space Nine was on the air and Voyager was starting up on UPN. And like, even though, you know, I didn't have a lot of constants in my life, I loved Star Trek. And I kind of loved that it was like, mine, you know, my cousins were big Star Wars fans, they had all the action figures, which I dabbled in as well. And I love Star Wars, but I kind of loved that Star Trek was my thing. And that I could like, you know, feel like I was learning a lot about this, like mythos and all of these amazing cultures, you know, that are, of course, not real, but also based on the real world. And yeah, that was like, it was like my little escape and like somewhere that I could go every week and be myself, be my nerdy dorky self and, you know, explore the (laughs) questions of the the mysteries of the cosmos. (laughs) What was the first episode you remember watching? I think one of the first episodes I remember watching, it was definitely TNG. And I think it was the the episode where they're all devolving into like... (laughs) prehistoric versions of themselves. Uh-huh. I call that episode Troy Frog. Yeah, I love that. And it's so so my dad is an evolutionary biologist and so oh I gosh. grew up kind of understanding the concept of evolution and I remember that having such an impression on me being like, "Whoa, this is like something that my dad's talked about, but now it's like an entertaining TV show." So it's like I think that's the first episode I can remember watching like really clearly. And then I started really getting into TNG and then Deep Space Nine, and then the series that I watched from beginning to end, like live as it was airing, was Voyager, Mm. which I, you know, whether or not people love it or hate it, I loved it. 
I loved how strong Catherine Janeway was as a captain. Of course, I loved Seven, you know, and Belana Torres was a huge role model for me as well. Someone who is kind of at conflict with the two sides of her heritage, which is like, in my mind, I was like, that's like me, you know, like always mm-hmm. like being like balancing back and forth between being like Persian and then living like, you know, in North America and feeling like an outsider in that way. So yeah, it that series is definitely the one that I like hooked into the most, but I, I, I love them all in their own ways. And, and the original series I love, mostly for the aesthetics, because I love yeah, the 60s. Yeah, I, I was about to say, like, it feels like aesthetically TOS is the one that seemed to be closest to your, to your drag aesthetic. Completely. I mean, I, I just loved how honestly silly the TOS aesthetic is. Not like in like a ridiculous way. It's just like, this is... It's campy. It's pretty campy. And it's... But it's gorgeous at the same time. And like, yeah. I, I love it. I love, you know, I, I love everything about it. I, I, one of my favorite episodes, of course, is Trials and Tribulations from Deep Space Nine, where they go back and revisit that aesthetic and comment on it as well, which mm-hmm. I thought was so fun. You know, Dax in that like tiny little velour dress. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's so distinctly 60s and yet so distinctly future. That yeah. it's, the, right. it's that perfect blend that I feel like influenced so much of the, the retrofuturism trend. Completely. And, you know, I think, you know, the 60s was so optimistic when it came to the future, right? You know, we'd, we'd won the war and now we were living in the atomic age and everything was going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think we'll never quite ever get back to that, I doubt, in terms of an aesthetic point of view of like, you know, all these like smooth lines and this was like incredible that they, we could even do this with like clothing and graphics and aesthetic that, that they did in the 60s but yeah t- a huge influence on obviously on me and my drag and just yeah I mean really fun but then I love of course I love Troy because I feel like I look the most like Marina Sirtis in and out of drag <laughs> so I was like you know and I love Troy as a character and I will say I think she was my favorite part of Star Trek Picard, but we can get into all that. Mm. I'll let you ladies drive the ship. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why not talk about when, I guess either when you started cosplay or when you started drag, did they go hand in hand? Did one lead to another? How did that, how did that work out for you? (sighs) It's so interesting. So it's, I didn't even really understand what cosplay was when I was young. I just knew that I wanted to have a Starfleet uniform and wear it all the time. Yeah. I, I don't think you're alone there. Well, I mean, that that term wasn't a thing then. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't as much a thing. But like, I remember going to my first Star Trek convention. I was living in San Francisco. I must have been like 10 or around that age. And I went and I remember seeing grownups dressed up as Klingons. And I was kind of scared, but also like amazed, you know, and I was like, whoa, this is so much commitment. Like I could never do this, but how cool, you know? And then it's kind of like the same experience I had when I first saw drag, you know, first time I saw drag queens was a couple years later in Chicago at market days and (laughs) thinking like, whoa, this is amazing to look at. And then I, I never really thought of anything for myself. And then in college, you know, I, I was doing a lot of theater and of course, you know, I love storytelling and I think cosplaying and drag are both different ways to tell stories, either visually or performance wise. 
So for me, it always came back to like, what kind of story can I tell with whatever I'm wearing? I want to say, what is probably the first thing I bought? I'm trying to think. The thing I wanted the most as a kid was like a tricorder to just walk around with. (laughs) Of mm-hmm. course, now we like live with these things in our hands that are basically tricorders. Right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure cell phones were invented so nerds could have tricorders. And that's why they were flip phones when they started. Right. And it's like literally we walk around and we carry them just like, you know, they've <laughs> always carried tricorders. But I always wanted one. That's probably one of the first things I asked for. I think I'm pretty sure I had as a kid, I want to say it was like a medical tricorder, but like a poly pocket. That like you'd open up and it would be like a little sick bay and it had like a little mini crusher. I'm like, I'm going to say 75% sure I either owned this or I dream manifested it. But I'm like (laughs) pretty sure I owned this. And it was like my favorite thing. You did not dream it because I have one on the shelf behind me. It's real. Okay, it's real. Oh my God. (laughs) Amazing. Thank goodness it's real because I always wanted it and then I had it. Maybe Jack, you dreamed it and manifested it for everyone else. Ooh. (laughs) See, it can Ah. be both. Why choose? Why choose? (laughs) But then cosplaying kind of came about because I, you know, I've always loved Star Trek, but I never really had, you know, I'd kind of taken the drag route, you know, and drag is, drag can be anything, which is amazing. But I was like, I don't know how many people really want to see me do like a Star Trek number, you know, just like at a local bar or whatever. But then I got the opportunity to bring my drag to, you know, Awesome Con and WonderCon and then the Star Trek convention and Comic-Con. And uh, I, like, found the audience for it. And then I started, like, buying everything. So I think I have probably, like, at this point, I'm going to say I have, like, eight different Star Trek cosplays. It could, yeah, I think it's eight. Let me think. Because I have a TNG uniform. I have Rebecca Rom- Romaine number one uniform. Ooh. Sue also cosplays number one. Right. We have TOS uniform. I have the mirror TOS Terran uniform. I have the scant, of course. We love a scant. (laughs) I'm trying to think what else I have. Well, I have at least those five. So let's say five to start. But I'm always looking for more, including my newest thing I want is a lower decks. The character I identify the most with on Lower Decks is Boimler. I just want to be Boimler for something. Mm. Well, you could do the the really awesome outfit he he puts on to... Yes! To... The like mix of like the Fonz and Doc Brown <laughs> yes! and like, what is happening in this outfit? I love when he just shows up. He's like, yeah, this little impressor. And I'm like, <laughs> I love it. It's so good. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because you ask like what happened first or the chicken or the egg. Like in my mind, it all kind of blends together as like one thing led to another led to another mm-hmm. and it always for me it always ties back to usually a performance is usually like how I think of like cosplay is like oh what number could I do built around this look so yeah that's kind of how I how I approach it but I also just want cute cool things to walk around a Star Trek convention and wear I actually think drag and cosplay have a lot in common partly because I feel like a lot of nerd culture and drag culture and queer culture in general have overlap. Like, think of the fandoms for Seven of Nine or Troy or Lokswana Troy and, like, their campy aesthetics and, like, really intense looks and stuff like that. I feel like there are a lot of us that fall right in the middle there that if there's a Venn diagram of people who love drag and people who love 
you know, Trek fandom, there's definitely an overlap there. And it includes me and Sue and you for one. <laughs> and then there's a lot of people, I think, that really love both the the theatricality of it. Totally. It's the theatricality. It's also the kind of ability to have the outward manifestation of you match maybe some things that are on the inside, you mm-hmm. know? And I think for all of us nerds, like, you know, we have all of these things, you know, I think one maybe negative definition of a nerd is someone who like is really smart and loves something that maybe other people don't think is cool. Right. I think yeah. that's like one definition of a nerd, which is probably a negative connotation, but on the plus side, it means that like, then you, you arm yourself with cosplay and with a community and with a fandom and with all of those kind of outward things to kind of build yourself up and build your pride in what that is. And I think that's the same thing with queer pride, right? It's like, I'm, you know, I'm part of this queer community. And even though some people say I should be ashamed of it, I'm going to instead choose to live with pride and be proud of who I am. And I think that definitely applies for cosplay, for nerd fandoms, for, you know, that whole community and the queer community. It's like, okay, this is something that you tell me is something I should be ashamed of. Well, I'm going to turn it into a badge of honor. Honor, uh, right? (laughs) Kapla! And I think that that's like something beautiful about the convention culture, about, you know, definitely the Star Trek fandom is these are people who like wear it with a badge as a badge of pride. There's something about the, the decision to start cosplaying. It's at least from, from my perspective is that, you're giving yourself permission to be Mm. something different and it allows you to explore different parts of yourself. And I I assume, because I have not done it, that it's similar for drag where you're letting yourself explore something, be something else, try different things. And there's a neat part of the, the cosplay community, at least the parts that I've been in, in that, you know, you can, play with the gender of a character and it doesn't matter. You can play with the expression of a character and it doesn't matter. And it's, it's wonderful to see the creativity come out and see people who maybe identify with a character who is, is not visually or aesthetically like them, but to make it their own, if that makes any sense at all. (laughs) It totally makes sense. I love different interpretations of characters. I see at conventions like, I love mashups of characters. I love gender bend characters. And I think drag is totally, that's a big part of drag and big part of cosplay. And I love to like the, when I, you know, cause I've, I've, I've dove deep sometimes into the, the online fandoms of like creating cosplays and like the details that some cosplayers will like latch onto versus others or like what makes a look iconic. Is it the, you know, the, there's so much debate around the number of seams in like a TOS uh, uniform, right? It's like all of those like little details I think are so incredible and you can explore your expressive side, your also your crafty side, you know, it's something that I think gives so many people joy and certainly has brought me joy for sure. Showing your love for fandom with creation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it. I mean, I mean, and now that I'm on the other end of a fandom, right. I've never been like, right. Yeah. I've never been it. it some someone that other people are fans of you know I've never been that until this year um and seeing all of their amazing creative work like they'll recreate makeup looks of mine or they'll do these amazing drawings of me or make these cool videos or like do a dance interpretation of something that I've done I'm like whoa this is like really cool (laughs) 
is exciting. It's incredible. Kind of going back to when we were talking about like the overlap between queer culture and fan culture. How have you felt about some of the queer characters and queer interpretations of Trek? Like as such an iconic member of our community as you are. Well, I'm very, very, very glad that Trek is just finally openly becoming queerer and queerer. And I think yeah. it's always had a bit of a queer subtext, you know, and I've, oh, yeah. I've always thought that like, you know, Spock is a coded queer character for one, you know, and I think that there's, there's always been that, that queerness to Trek. And now I'm just so grateful it's become overt and we can have numerous queer characters on the same show, you know, Discovery and even more to come in season three, which I'm excited about. And in Star Trek Picard, I love that it was just kind of there and not even really discussed at all, you know, and, and the validation that Seven's a queer character, I think <laughs> is very exciting. I've said this before, but you know, Seven of Nine is the only girl who ever made it as a poster in my locker uh, in middle school. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just so excited that it's it's coming. And I appreciate that so many people who were involved, especially with Trek in the 90s, have acknowledged their failure in bringing the queerness of the world to the world of the Federation, right? And I'm just grateful that at least that's been acknowledged. And now we can move forward as like, an actually inclusive fandom that really represents who we are. Definitely. Our show has had a couple of episodes when we've tried to explore the queer subtext or the trans subtext of a lot of these different characters and plots and episodes and stuff. And we did an episode as well about queer coding and how often that is used in Trek. And one of the things that we've always kind of lamented is like it's always been there and queer people have always like embraced this show and these characters i mean if we're talking like kirk and spock are the granddaddies of slash fiction you know totally so it's always been disappointing to us as queer fans that like we're there but they wouldn't acknowledge us you know and i think that this is why these new characters and the show finally being open about their representation has felt like it's been so long coming and like so necessary. So necessary. And also, you know, we're, we're getting, you know, I'm almost on, on the one level, I'm glad that we've kind of skipped to now in the sense that now we have a flourishing of queer characters of different types. You know, we have, Sometimes curmudgeonly Stamets, we have wonderful <laughs> Culber, we have very wry and witty, you know, uh, Tignataro is just so incredible on the mm-hmm. show. And then we have completely, completely different in what's happening in Star Trek Picard. And I know we're going to have even more new stuff happening in season three of Discovery. So I'm kind of glad that we've just skipped to now and it's not like the one perfect token queer character maybe we would have had in the 90s. And we've kind of just skipped to something maybe a little more real. But yeah, it's it's always been there. And from, you know, what we've heard from so many of the actors and writers, it was always wanted to be more. And so now I'm just happy that we've just skipped to the more part. <laughs> I feel like anytime you hear Andrew Robinson doing interviews about DS9, he's like, <laughs> I just wanted to be gay. I wanted to yeah. be so gay. Like uh, the DS9 documentary, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, but in it, he was basically, well... 
Garrick wanted to sleep with Bashir. That's right off. And he like explicitly said it. And I right. was just like, it came through, bro. It came through a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, talk about the amazing queer energy of Deep Space Nine in general, right? <laughs> Major Kira is like uh, so much queer energy, right? And I think we now look back and like wish for things that could have been or maybe things would have been a little more explicit. And, you know, and it's okay. And I'm just happy that now we're moving forward in a more queer track. Well, yeah, because now we'll have actual non-binary representation instead of their accidental, like, this is so alien and weird of the outcast. Right. Like, can you imagine how alien and strange this is? This whole, they don't have genders. Amazing. And now we're just like, yeah, we know. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, and what's interesting about that episode, too, and I think what's interesting about queer theory and I think uh, the understanding of the entire community by not only us, but by the outside world is, you know, I think that episode was written to be more as being coding around sexuality when it really isn't. We call it a very special gay episode when we talk about it, because that's what they were definitely trying to portray. And then they actually did a trans story. Right. By accident. (laughs) Right. And I think, too, it's because I don't think, you know, we didn't really have a good general understanding of being non-binary at that time. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's amazing how much we didn't know, but that was always there, you know, and that this is something real. But, you know, the fact that it's supposed to be some kind of big, like, allegory for like, well, what if there was no gender? Then what would you care if people slept with each other who looked the same or different or whatever? But that's not really what it, that episode ended up being about at all. But it's just interesting to me, you know. And then, of course, to use Hunky Riker, right, in the middle <laughs> of it. You know, and that's something, too, I love that Jonathan Frakes has always also been one of those actors who said, like, we, I wish we'd done more. Well, Frakes straight up said he thought that the, the actor cast should have been a man. Because he was yeah. thinking of it as a gay allegory, I'm sure. And not realizing that maybe we shouldn't cast a man for a trans woman. But, like, I, that openness... Is, right. is still really cool. Right. Well, and Trek, every series has had their outsider character, right? We have Spock, we have Data, we have Odo, somebody who, who isn't human, who doesn't fit in, who's trying to figure things out. And I just, I one of the things I love about Star Trek is that you can read that character in so many different ways. You know, that's that can be your nerd kid who is bullied at school. That can be your queer kid. That can be aut- autism allegory. You know, so there are so many different ways that that character can can mean different things to different people who are watching. But at the same time, you know, now in in 2020, explicit representation is so important. And I think that's where, you know, some of the fans complaining about these things, SJW Trek, you know, sign me up for that. But yeah, that we've had allegories, we've had metaphors before. But what allegories and metaphors do is allow people who don't want it there to ignore it. And when you have explicit representation, you can't ignore it anymore. It's part of who that character is. Right. And I think what's really important, too, about the explicit representation of queer people is that if we're saying in the year 2020, we've made this much progress so far for queer rights, then by the 23 and 2400s, like, we better have a lot more. (laughs) It better not even be a question of whether queer people can serve in Starfleet or not, right? And so I think that that's something that it's like, what is this really an allegory for? Because if if you're telling me that like, in the future, you know, 
humanity has become enlightened, then you better prove it to me. And, and one big way is to say, hey, we're actually accepting of fellow humans and who they are. Yeah, that's one kind of underlying tension that's always been present in Trek is that they're trying to portray a utopian future, but they're still speaking the language of whatever they wrote the episodes. So there's a limiting of an imagination because they didn't have the language. They didn't have the the societal understanding. They tried, but there's always that kind of like tension. Right. And I think that's, that's kind of where we come in as the queer fans is to, you know, or even just forget queer as, as a, as a female fan, you know, as, as a, as a fan who's just anything other than a straight white man. I think it's like, if you're the fandom can, can do those little gentle pushes and nudges. And I think that's part of why we have an explosion of queer characters on Star Trek, more, more female led shows, you know, more female driven plots, hopefully passing the Bechdel test every episode, right? Mm-hmm. These are all things that like, I think the fans have always pushed for. I think it's what led to Janeway. It's what led to, you know, everything that's happened now. So uh, that tension is good. And I think it's on us to keep the, keep the temperature up, right? Keep the, the, the boilerplates hot and make sure that those creators that we, you know, want to create this art that we respond to acknowledge that. It's the same thing almost in any fandom, right? I think, you know, flipping gears in a little bit, but I think it's the same thing in the drag fandom too, kind of putting that pressure on, you know, the drag world to be more embracing of all genders in drag and all expressions of drag. I think these things kind of happen because we have strong, passionate fandoms who want the best for these franchises. Yeah, pretty much welcome to our mission statement as a show. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, we will not accept it. Our show started before this like new explosion of track. So there was definitely a bit of criticism of our show, especially at that time. And when you started in 2015. Yep. Thanks, Stu. (laughs) Like, why are we talking about this? Why are we critiquing shows that were made in the 60s and being like, this was sexist, this was racist, this was homophobic? Why are we doing that? It's, it's, you know, it's over. The idea was always like, well, no, it's not over because we're still talking about Star Trek. So we still have to acknowledge these problems. And then when people make new Star Trek, which they then did, we want to make sure we are very clear about what was not acceptable what we will not accept in the future. And I think that's important. And it's important to continue that conversation because art is not static. It's not dead now. Like TOS is not dead. It's still a living, breathing entity because we still talk about it and people watch it for the first time today. I mean, there's still in theory, right? Two huge parts of the franchise that are directly tied into TOS, right? The Kelvin movies are mm-hmm. still very much a reboot of, of TOS if they continue on. If they don't, we don't know. Knock on wood. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> and and the, you know, Strange New Worlds is a new series greenlit because of the love of TOS, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think this is just speaks to what you were saying is that the fandom is a living, breathing thing that is also part of a living, breathing franchise. And because we're so passionate about it, this is why, you know, CBS Viacom has made Star Trek a huge pillar of their growth because of people like you actually keeping the conversations alive. And, you know, I think and I hope that the Star Trek fandom is one that, you know, these big corporations who own these franchises actually appreciate how thoughtful most of us are and 
in our critiques and our hopes and our wishes. And so I love things like this podcast that we can actually explore these topics and, (laughs) you know, not just be, you know, people yelling in all caps into a void, right? Right. So I think Mm -hmm. that there's a way that we as the fans can influence the things that we love to be even better versions of the things that we fall in love with. Star Trek certainly has a history of that with its fandom. (laughs) Completely, right? And I think that's that speaks to the strength and the power and the, you know, the intellect of this fandom. And one of my favorite conversations to have in, uh, in along these lines is the things that when they aired, when they were made, were very progressive, but are seen as problematic today. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's things that like some, some fans, especially some longtime fans, have some trouble wrapping their head around saying, no, but TOS was progressive. And like, might have been progressive for 1967, but in 2020, we look at it a different way. And one of the things that, that I make sure is that we don't, we don't want to give it a pass, right? You can acknowledge the context of when something was made, but you have to remember that there are people who are going to be watching this for the first time this year, and they're not going to have the context of 1960. So how are they going to see it 54 years later? Right. And I think, and I hope that not giving something a pass doesn't mean to discount it entirely, right? I think we right. can we can acknowledge that we all became fans of Star Trek before uh, the year 2020 and prior to, you know, and even still, there'll be things that we're watching that are coming up on season three of Discovery that we're gonna be so excited about and feel so happy about. And then in five or 10 years or one year, we'll say, oh, wait a minute, mm-hmm. maybe that was a little problematic. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to, it's okay to, you know, learn something new and apply it to something old, right? I think that's growth. And that's what, you know, certainly the ideals of the Federation and Starfleet and all that, if you want to get really meta about it, is it's, you know, Starfleet prides itself on being and doing better. And I think as fans, we can do the same and not, I think guilt is a is not a useful emotion here. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't feel guilty about something you didn't know, or something you didn't realize. And then when someone points it out to you, don't feel bad that you didn't know or just move forward from that moment, right? Mm-hmm. And I think as as we learn so much about this world and other people's experiences in it that are not our own, it's okay to add that knowledge to how we view things from our past and how we'll hold things accountable that are yet to be made that are in our future, right? Yeah. And I think one of the things that people misunderstand about us critiquing these shows is we're not saying that you need to feel bad because you loved it. We love it too. You know, like you don't have to throw it away. You just have to keep it in mind while mm-hmm. you're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when it comes to TOS. Oh, you don't think that uh, the start, you don't think the captain should sleep with a different alien woman every week. <laughs> yeah. I had some serious trouble. I got came to the fandom late. Andy's a newcomer. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome Andy. Thank you so much. Most Trekkies, as you pointed out, kind of come to Trek in adolescence. And I I came to it in 2013. So I was a grown woman. And I was also I seeing these things for the first time. And in some cases, I was like really into it. And in other cases, I was like, you know, and it was kind of like a fresh eyed perspective because a lot of these conversations have been hashed over by the fandom for a long time. And so when I was coming in completely fresh and didn't know anything, it was kind of an interesting dynamic, I guess. And 
So that's why I always keep new fans in my mind because I was a new fan once, not that long ago. And there will be people that will start their Star Trek journey 10 years from now, you know? Yeah, it's something, it's so funny, you know, I was just, as you were saying all this, I kind of remember like, you know, if you think of someone like, uh, you know, our high holy priestess, Majel Barrett Roddenberry, may she rest <laughs> in peace, you know, and think about like number one versus Christine Chapel, you know, and like, the ridiculousness of how she had to like change herself to be like a, a character that this, that the network would want on this show. You know, it's, it's sad, but like she did it. And <laughs> luckily for her, there was this amazing light at the end of the tunnel with an amazing history of characters she played in the nineties. Right. And the computer and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting to me to think like how our expectations, our views have grown and changed and, you know, sadly, the, you know, the powers that be have often been very behind that, right? Mm. So I'm just glad that the the powers that be are catching up. And I do think a big part of that is the ability that we can hold companies, you know, CBS Viacom publicly accountable, right? We can, we have those abilities now in the year, in the year 2020, and certainly in the past five years of being like, well, we are a strong, very loud army, and <laughs> we can make our points known. And especially when they're for things that are, you know, for the good of the franchise and for the good of, you know, underrepresented people. Well, the the hopeful thing is, you know, number one was not, 1966 was not ready for her, but apparently 2021 not. will be, you I'm know, so excited. that's the hope. I am so excited. I am so excited. I'm just can't even tell you. I regularly say that number one got more character development in the cage than Nurse Chapel got in three years. Right. And just the ridiculousness of Nurse Chapel, right? Crying over Spock, like all of this stuff. It's like, I don't know. In my mind, I'm like, I think she was just kind of grinning and bearing it, right? She right. was. Yeah. Like, she has talked pretty openly about how boring that character was for her. But, you know, at least at least she got to be in the episode with the dick rock. I mean, that's... Oh, God. <laughs> We did we did an episode about Christine Chapel, Jackie, and we talked about the dick rock for I feel like a solid ten minutes. <laughs> we had to mark it explicit because of the number of times we said dick rock. <laughs> oh my god. Well don't do that to this episode. We can we can bleep them out. But I but but we can say that like what an amazing comeuppance that she gets to play one of the most sexually liberated women over right. forty that ever mm-hmm. existed in television, you know, mm-hmm. before Kim Cattrall was doing it, before, you know anyone was able to be this kind of sexually liberated that she was able to do that in the nineties is pretty cool. Anti-mame in space. Yeah. But like <laughs> even sexier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, anti-mame is she's a sexually free woman for the, you know, that the mid 20th century, but I'm just glad that Luxana Troy could be like a just very sexual woman. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And if we circle all the way back to aesthetics, she had some pretty strong aesthetics. Thank goodness. <laughs> but we, we've we been talking about like the power of fandom as a whole. I Before we finish up, I want to know about your interactions with, with Star Trek fandom, walking around in your, in your Troys or your uniforms at, at cons. What has your interaction been like? It's been great. I think the fans have been super like into it, you know, and this was obviously before Drag Race or anything. Mm -hmm. So it's not like anyone necessarily knew who I was, but people still loved it and appreciated it. And Marina Sirtis herself loved it. She like got up out from behind her table to come do pictures with me. 
you know, and she, she's, I, I'll never forget, but the one thing she said that like, is like always cracks me up, you know, with her British accent. She's like, well, you know, there's like the drag queens they impersonate, like Barbara Streisand and Cher, and now I'm right beneath them. <laughs> <laughs> so she like took it as such an honor, which is amazing. You know, it's all been so great. Garrett Wong from Voyager was like, oh my gosh, you're reminding me of how, you know, fierce Kate Mulgrew was when she was being uh, Lady Chaotica, you know, all of those, <laughs> or the Bride of Chaotica, excuse me. And, you know, it's cool that, like, the stars appreciate it. The fans have always been, like, I feel like all of us love whenever we see the effort, the energy, the passion. And I think I, I have not had a negative experience at any convention. Oh, that's, that's awesome. exciting. I, I will say, you know, it's always scary, right? Because you never, you don't, you know, you never know who's in the fandom, right? But I've, Right. I've been lucky to say I've never had a negative interaction with anyone at a Star Trek convention. Last year at Star Trek Las Vegas, one of the the giveaways we had at our podcast table were pronoun buttons. And they were all Star Trek themed and everything. Amazing. And it was it was so great to see the majority of people be really, really excited. But the people who who didn't know what it was would ask. Nobody got mad that I recall anyway. But we had a lot of really interesting conversations and I hope helpful conversations with people who asked about like, why would you wear a a button with your pronouns on it? So yeah, it was, it's just, it's not something you would expect at every convention, but at a Star Trek convention, it seemed like everybody who talked to us about it was at least receptive to the idea. I love that. And for those who are are, are listening, who want to know my pronouns, I use any and all pronouns. So you can use he, him, his, she, her, hers, or they, them, theirs with me. And I consider myself gender expansive in that way. Oh, awesome. So Very cool. as, as long as everything is said with respect and love, you can use any pronouns with me. I will say if I am in full drag, I would appreciate she, her, hers, but maybe I'm not doing it for you that day. So, you know, <laughs> but uh, and of course, during this podcast, I'm in full drag, right? I'm wearing my heels. <laughs> Right Absolutely. now in my living room to talk to you. Yeah, it's too bad y'all can't see it. Jackie is really serving right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm full bejazel from from Star Trek Picard. Oh my gosh. Well, here, here's a question for you. Is there a cosplay or a costume or a character that you would like to do in the future that you just haven't had a chance to tackle yet, but you're excited to do someday? Oh God, everything. But you I mean, now we've been talking about it. You know, I'm a, uh, I'm... I would love to do a, a, a Luoxana Troy cosplay. I haven't done you one yet. You would be so good at it. I would love that so much. I would totally do <laughs> Is it. Is there a particular look of hers that you'd want to do? Oh, God. I there's mean, so many. There's so many. It's too... I would have to just like really like hone it down and pick pick one. I feel like the truly iconic one is the gold one with like the zebra mm. print top and the like reverse boob window. Is that the one where <laughs> she's trying to date Odo? Or is that a different one? No, that's a different one isn't she wearing a red number when she's trying to seduce odo well to be fair she's tried to seduce odo more than once (laughs) this is true and who wouldn't the the one where she tells him she can swim is like the blue lace dress and the pink wig (laughs) Ooh, (laughs) i love lexana so much work i mean her bejazel from the new is it bejazel that's how you say it right yes or vajazel also acceptable or 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 that (laughs) Um, I'd love to do her. Yeah, definitely. Oh, ooh, ooh. What about the the evil gold twin from uh, Star Trek Picard? What was that character's name? Sutra, I think. Sutra, yeah. 
yeah, that sounds right. That'd be fun to do. Do some ab crunches first. (laughs) Very, you know, love all that. I'm really hoping that we see some lower decks cosplay because I think Tendi would be really fun to do. And of course, I just feel like I am Boimler. So I just want to like hang out in that (laughs) uniform and have like purple hair and be like, hey guys. Yes. (laughs) Bury me out of drag. Yeah, because I think it's, it's like the possibilities are endless. That's the nicest thing about Trek. Like, I mean, there's still that that episode that you might cosplay with his his super cool jacket. And I'm gonna wear <laughs> that like around. Like, it came out what last week? I love it. New things to cosplay every every week these days. Thank goodness, uh, we are definitely living in, I guess, a renaissance of of Star Trek. Definitely. So there's the possibilities. Or endless. Sadly, the closet space is not. So we'll have to. I'll have to be uh, choosy. For real. If I might make a suggestion, I think you would really pull off. I think her name is Andrea in TOS in the Dick Rock episode, whatever that episode is called. She wears a pantsuit that's made out of scarves. Ugh, icon. And I, I feel like you could rock that really hard with your aesthetic. Just saying. I'll do it. Put I'll a do pin it. In that. <laughs> well. I just have one more question, and that is about your interactions with Whoopi Goldberg. OMG. You got to meet Whoopi. I got to meet Whoopi. You guys, she really is Guinan, just in case <laughs> in case people in the family didn't know. She just in real life is has that much kind of amazing prescient energy. Like she can she knows exactly what you need to hear and will say it to you and it's almost like spooky right because it's like <laughs> this is a character she played on tv but you're like oh no you're really that person you're able to like see what someone's problems or fears or insecurity are and then help them move through that and she definitely did that with me which was you know uh, something i will never forget and then yeah what what uh how lucky right to to have that kind of interaction with her and god if she if she doesn't, if she isn't on Star Trek Picard season two, I will be a very sad person. <laughs> she accepted that invitation on live television. On so live television. We so. are expecting it. <laughs> and I just, I just love the story of how Whoopi came into Trek, right? Because it's tied into so much of what we see as the beauty of Trek, of her seeing Nichelle Nichols, of that being such an impact on her of Gene Roddenberry not believing that she wanted to be on the show and <laughs> her finally having to like get a hold of him. I mean, the story is legend at this point, but like it ties back to so much of like the beauty of Star Trek and like how it does impact people, including a young Whoopi Goldberg, which is like yeah. how cool that then she was like, I loved this so much as a kid that now I want to, in a sense, give back, right? Because she was definitely the biggest star that they had on that show, right? Mm. She was at her super bookable prime peak in the 90s. And she was like, yep, I'm going to be on this TV show because I want to be. I think that kind of adds to the characterization is that Whoopi had such a say in it. Totally. And and thank goodness she did, right? I think it's an amazing character like you didn't know you needed in The Next Generation, right? Because in theory, right, that the, the the, the kinds of things that Whoopi maybe could have been doing could have been things that Troy was doing, but I think they kind of moved Troy into a lot of different spaces, which I'm sure you've had many discussions about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I know Marina has had a lot of feelings about, but I, I think, you know, Whoopi had enough say and gravitas to be like, well, this is how I can help this show and this is what I can do for these characters. <laughs> she just had a tremendous empathy as Guinan and 
I still remember when I was first watching the show, I started with TNG and the first season of TNG is rough. (laughs) I still like it, but it's rough. And then you get to the second season and the, the turning point to me was the measure of a man in which, and the, the moment was Guinan and Picard sitting at the bar talking about human people and disposability of, of people and how easy it is to dehumanize people and turn them into just not a full person in your eyes. And that conversation, I was like, oh, I'm a Trekkie. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. that's cool. That's, this is, this is a show that I really care about now. And it was, it was definitely, she was a huge part of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, as, as we move forward, I hope that that continues to be something she brings to the table. We'll see. <laughs> we'll add that to our many things we knocked on wood for in this conversation. It's all going to sure. happen. It's going to happen. Well, Jackie is going to manifest it the same way she manifested Polly Pocket. Tricorder. Yeah, tricorder. Yeah, it's right over there. <laughs> oh my god, I'm coming over and looking at it. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's whatever. just across the bridge. Whenever, whenever the pandemic's over, I'm going to come look at it. <laughs> Any, you are welcome anytime to my wall of Beverly Crusher. Oh yay, we love Crusher. <laughs> Who, by the way, and that another amazing interaction I had was with Gates, and she was just. It was kind of interesting because I think she saw me and she started telling me the story, and I was like, oh, I must have reminded her of someone. She started telling me about her time in the 80s and 90s as a choreographer and a dancer and how I reminded her so much of, you know, amazing young gay, queer, probably some trans women that she had met in that time in her life and how she missed so many of them because we had lost so much of that community in oh, that time. That's amazing. That's really lovely. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of, it usually happens the other way. You know, usually fans will come and tell the star a story about something that happened in life. It was interesting that Gates saw me and she was like, you remind me of these dancers I used to work with who were amazing, who had beautiful long legs and I, we lost so many of them. And it was just like, a, she just kind of was remembering it as she was telling me. It was a very touching moment. Aww. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing because, you know, we've been lucky in that most of the people who've worked on Star Trek have been amazing people. And mm-hmm. so we're lucky that we still have so many of them to connect to and, you know, interact with either on Twitter or at the conventions and, you know, that they've, that they've embraced it as well. Absolutely. Well, is there anything that that you want to share with our audience we didn't talk about today? (laughs) Anything you're doing in the future that you want to let us know about future projects or? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, it's, it's, we're in a, we're in a holding pattern here. uh, (laughs) Oh, wait a second. Are you telling me the pandemic has thrown off your life plans? They have, it has, it has, you know, and on on the flip side though, you know, originally I was going to be probably too busy to do any Trek kind of stuff, but now I'm like, (laughs) Hey, we can do it all. The silver lining. The silver lining is we can, we can be actively watching all the new Trek (laughs) whenever the conventions get rescheduled. I'm going to try to be there i mean i am a huge fan of this fandom and of star trek of course itself so i can't wait to see where the future takes all of us and where can people find you on the social medias uh, i'm at jackie cox nyc across all platforms twitter instagram and tiktok if you would like <laughs> 
I just finally did Instagram and I'm already overwhelmed. I don't know what a story is, so I've just been like avoiding it mostly. Occasionally I upload a picture of my cat and then I'm like, okay, cool. I'm hip again. All right, I'm leaving. TikTok's too far for me. I don't know. I'm an old lady. I'm a grandma. I can't handle that. That's okay. You know, everything at your own pace in your own time, <laughs> you'll just skip straight to the holodeck is kind of, I, my, that's my vision for you. Oh, Absolutely. Thank you. Please manifest that for me. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, the costumes I, I pull out every now and then is Grandma Tarkin. Oh. Yeah. All of my, because I'm the same way about like TikTok, what stories, what, like all of my, my Star Wars friends just call me grandma now because I am not there for it. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, uh, you know, it, everything in your own time, in your own way. And there are, I will say, I think Twitter is the most Trek, most Trekky people I find are on, are yeah, on there's Twitter. There's a big, big Trek community on Twitter. Yeah. And speaking of such, for more from Women at Warp, you can find us at womenatwarp.com. Send us an email at crew, C-R-E-W, at womenatwarp.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. Not TikTok, though. Not yet. Not <laughs> yet. Uh, if we let Grace do TikTok, our number, we are going to go viral so fast. We should do that. It's going to just be like, like TikTok dances, but like in Starfleet uniforms. <laughs> yes. uh, that would be great. All right. Well, we got to pitch Grace on that. I'll come do one with her, too. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye.